What is going on, everyone? Hope you all are having a great Thursday evening. Got a great episode for you today. If you're watching on um, YouTube or on Facebook, please uh, let me know where you're listening from or watching from. Um, welcome to our live show. We're still, I'm still trying to get the hang of this whole live show thing, but hopefully you guys are being able to see me on either Facebook or YouTube on our YouTube channel. Remember, you can follow us on social media on the Bass Kayak and Beers, uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, of course. If you happen to be listening to this episode after it uh, went live and you're listening on MP3 platforms like Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it if you give us your thumbs up or your five-star reviews, whatever format they use. It really does help out a lot with uh, the growth of the podcast. So we really do appreciate it if you can do that for us. And if you want to share the videos on uh, on your Facebook accounts, you can do so as well. It is free. doesn't cost you anything. And again, we do appreciate you guys, girls, joining us for this episode. I am trying to find... I know some of them getting notifications. Some of you are commenting, but for whatever reason, I can't find where the comment section is. And again, I, guys, I do apologize. I'm trying to get used to this. Where are the comments? Oh, here it is. I haven't heard, uh, heard the comment sections. Anyways, I don't know if you're all commenting or not, but if you are, and I apologize if I can't see it. Um, other than that, I wanted to once again... Uh, mention and plug in the Jeff Malott uh, charity tournament for his granddaughter, uh, Rowan Malott. Uh, if you don't know by now, his granddaughter, she's six months old and she has been diagnosed with nebro, neuroblastoma. And it's a pediatric cancer that usually affects, very rare cancer that usually affects children five years or less and again she's six months old um ryan lambert uh is hosting a benefit tournament it's on tourney x it's the whole month of february you're not too late to sign up you can sign up a day before the end of february and you will still be able to help out it's a 30 dollar buy-in then you can add um twenty dollars uh donations so it'll be 50 or you can add ten dollar donations um that'll be 40 or you can have both and that'll be 60 dollars you'll be donating every single dime goes to the malap family um as you would imagine rowan is in the fight for her life and she's only six months old those bills are going to stack up his uh son um and his uh daughter-in-law obviously they have to balance try to take care of Rowan, her da their daughter, and work, and it will be a big help. Um, I think the way the tournament is, it doesn't matter how many fish you catch. You can fish from a bank. You can fish from a boat. You can fish from a kayak. It does not matter. Um, even if you don't win, you have a chance at the raffle prizes. I think the winner just gets like a, like a plaque, but the real, the, the, the prices are going to be the raffles. So once you buy into a tournament, you get an opportunity to take part in the raffles automatically. Douglas, my sponsor for the podcast, is donating a rod for it. So you get a chance to win one of those LRS Douglas rod. It's going to be a travel rod, a spinning travel rod, medium heavy. I think it's going to be um, 
we're also going to be uh, donating some merch, maybe some caps, sweaters, whatever Douglas is is, is going to bring to the table. So that would, obviously that's going to have a specific size. So we'll see how that works. But go ahead, check it out. Go to Tourney X, go to Rowan's Hero, and go help him out. Go help Jeff Malad out if you can. Um, other than that, we're going to bring in our next guest, Ryan Nye. He just won the 10 at the KBF tournament. I'm excited. I think the 10 is an underrated uh, kind of elite trail that not everybody gets to qualify for. And I don't think he gets the enough respect as he does. So I'm really excited to have Ryan Nye won the tournament. A lot of great stuff we're talking about in the pre-recording. So without further ado, let's bring Ryan Nye in. Ryan, Nye is how you pronounce your last name. Is that correct? Yep, Nye. I I, I, I forgot to ask you. This Frankie Prolifrone, head honcho for the Slay Nation. Thank you, Frankie, for commenting. Uh, let's go, Nye, he says. Ryan, again, congratulations on an amazing win. Uh, one of the things that really um, I was really impressed by and by now i shouldn't be impressed because i see Derek brundle do this all the time and it's how you guys from the upper northeast connecticut massachusetts just go down to florida and just find a way to just smash him and consistently place great in those tournaments is it was it hard for you to to adapt from connecticut to florida to fish in those lakes yeah, it's definitely different. Um, bringing up somebody like Brundle, and I mean, there's so many guys from up here in the Northeast that just can go anywhere and catch fish. And Brundle's just one of the names. I mean, you got Matt Conant and Mike Marcone and yep. Ken Wood, and there's so many guys. Um, but yeah, going from somewhere from up like up here, where I mean, we have ice right now. Like <laughs> everything is frozen. You go down to Florida, and it's a whole different game. Um, and vegetation all year, and shallow water finding deep water down there is rare i mean deep water in florida is usually like 10 feet um and coming from lakes up here where you can get 50 to 100 or how you can get as deep as you want to get um it's it's just different but it's the same concepts and it's all finding areas that hold quality fish and there's just a lot of people that are good at doing that um and just simplifying it to that you know you're looking for an area and you're looking for whether it's offshore grass or just an area that you think fish are moving to. Um, and just being in front of them is huge. So yeah, it's, it's the same at the end of the day, it's still a bass, but it is a lot different, um, than up here, but you just gotta fish to your strengths as much as you can. Yeah. Fish to your confidence. Cause at this point, I also think Florida is just so different geographically, right? Um, that it's it's different for everyone, unless somebody from, you know, like the 10 is like you have to qualify. So they may not be any or if or not much of the English are going to be from Florida. So I guess it's different for everyone because I don't think Florida is that relatable to any other part of the of the country just because it's so different. And those Florida strain bass have this uh, this reputation for really being finicky and hard to catch. But at the same time, there is huge bass over there. One of the things that I wanted to touch on, Ryan, is, and I mentioned it on the intro, I don't think the 10 gets as much respect. And I understand a little bit of, of 
that thinking in the sense that it's not like the Hobie BOS with it's the top 50, you know, you have to compete against 50 anglers instead of 10, like well, in this case, and the 10 is actually 11 with the Invitational. And Bassmaster Kayak Series is also, you can have like 200 anglers. Uh, but I think the aura or, or what is attractive about the 10 is just qualifying for it. Yes, you're not going to compete against 50, 200 people, but it's super hard to qualify for the 10. What does it mean to you to qualify for an event that just has the top 10? Oh, qualifying was huge. I mean, that's, I think that's a lot of people's goal when you first join KBF is to make that the 10 house and be able to fish in that tournament. Um, I think a lot of people look at that as a prestigious tournament. I mean, if you look at it, yeah, Hobie has their um, TOC and Bassmaster has their classic. and um, But at the end of the day, it's the same people in most yep. of that. Like it's, you know, Russ Steider and Josh Stewart and Cody Milton and Derek Brundle. Like it's all the same people who are fishing both trails. But in this one, you have to fish against them. You don't have 50 other guys. It's, <laughs> it's just the 10 or 11 of you. Um, and the only way that 11th person gets in is if they catch more fish than the other, I don't even know what was down there for the Tempitational, but it was a good turnout. So they had to go out and catch fish and earn their way in there on those same lakes. So there's getting there is huge, no matter how you do it. If you get in through the Tempitational or if you get in from, you know, the tournaments leading up to it and get in through AOI, I mean, it's, it's really the same people. It's the it's the hardcore kayak guys who just want to fish and they don't care what the name of the series is and it's it's huge you know getting in there is I was just happy with that honestly. What does it mean to you to just qualify for that ten? Like, were you surprised that you qualified? How did it shape out during the season? At what point? Did you notice like, hey, I have a real shot at qualifying? And by the way, is this your first time qualifying for the ten? Yeah, this is my first time, and this is my fourth year, I think, with KBF. So it's not easy, and it really comes down to the national championship. The national championship is points and a half. Um, they may be changing that. I'm not sure, but there's such a huge swing at the national championship that you can be sitting pretty good going into the national championship, and then if you don't have a good event, you can drop so far down the AOI standings that you fall out of the 10. I think the last two years I've been in the top 10 going into the national championship. And two years ago, I fell out of that. And with like a, it was actually at the tournament at Caddo and I finished, I think 40th or 50th and fell out of the top 10. Um, so you don't have to fall far. I mean, there's 200 people at those tournaments, so you still have a decent tournament and you can still fall out of that. So it's just a combination of, you know, the season and putting yourself in the right place and then really having a good event at the national championship to get in. And like I said, I think that's a lot of people's goal. And to me, it's super important. I mean, that's, that's what I've wanted to do since I started with KBF is make that. And it's not easy to do, but it means a lot when you do it. And KBF definitely shows that with the way they treat that tournament compared to just a trail series or, a you know, any other tournament. Looking at, at where you're sitting right now, right behind you, I can see a lot of like big checks, big awards. Is this 
would you say this is the mo the biggest tournament you've won, the biggest award you've gotten? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just because of the guys and the caliber of people who are there. Um, I mean, none of these checks are easy to win by any means. There's always somebody who's right <laughs> right on your tail. Or, I mean, there's, I think, three up there that are actual wins, and the rest of them are you know, top tens or something in that range. So there's, it's never easy. Um, but just being in the, that tournament and kind of what it means to the kayak fishing community and whether you follow KBF or not, I think people do pay attention to it and you know, who's in the 10. And, um, so to win that one is, is huge. And it's definitely the biggest one for me so far. I know you have a close relationship with Derek Brundle. How, satisfying was it to beat Derek Brundle? And I, I, and I know that's with respect, right? Like when you, when you have a good friend that, and somebody like Derek Brundle, who's one of the best at, it, especially coming from, from the Northeast, do you feel like, how do you feel? Like, do you see like, Oh man, I, I got one up on the great Derek Brundle, um, who is been, you know, in one of the, he's been at a KBF staple for, since he started fishing. So he's been consistently winning tournaments and getting into the 10. So any rivalry there, friendly rivalry, knowing you guys are good friends? Um, I, I wouldn't say rivalry. Um, Derek is probably one of the nicest people in that I know in kayak fishing. And um, I actually launched with him both days of the 10. And when we got back to the ramp, he like jumped out of his kayak. He's like, dude, you smashed him. That was so cool. Like just as excited for me as I was for me. And, the same for him because he had a great day too as well. Like we were both excited that we each had a good day. And he was like, you had me by a quarter inch. I had you by a quarter inch. And that was so much fun. Like he's just, he just loves it. Like he just can't get enough. And it's cool to beat those guys, but it's even cool to fish with them. And just, you know, just have that, like, you know, that friendship built through it. And yeah, it's competitive and, he wants to win just as bad as I do. But at the end of the day, we're both just having fun fishing. And two guys from the Northeast were down there and catching fish in Florida. So it's, it's nice to beat him, but I would be, you know, it's awesome when he wins too, you know. Going into the tournament, uh, let's talk a little bit about the pre-fishing. How did pre-fishing, you know, set up for you? Once pre-fishing was done, did you feel confidence that you were able going to pull this off or were you figuring that this wasn't going to be it? Uh, no, I'm not confident I was going to pull it off at all. <laughs> um, so you have the trail that goes down and they fish the Saturday, Sunday before you have Monday as an off day. And then Tuesday, Wednesday was the 10. So those lakes get a lot of pressure from, you know, guys start pre-fishing probably Wednesday, you get Wednesday, Thursday, Friday tournament, Saturday, Sunday, and then go look again on Monday. And then, you know, so there's a lot of pressure on those lakes. So being confident is hard, but found a little area early in pre-fishing and I left it alone during the actual trail series tournament. And I really just tried to find something else. And I, I just never did. I never found like a consistent bite do in a different area. Um, so Definitely not confident, but I knew that the area that I wanted to go to had fish. I just also knew that there was guys in the trail tournaments that were up there fishing and, you know, they, they're not holding anything back for the, for those couple of days. Like I'm trying to do, they don't, you know, just, and I, I don't blame them. They're there to win a tournament. Um, so 
I was confident there was fish there. I just didn't know how much pressure they had gotten. And I, I thought that I was going to have to grind it out, which is kind of what happened on day one. So. Sorry, I had my unmute on. When you look at going into day one, I noticed day one, you ended up with 89 and a half. Um, trying to remember who in day one was doing amazing. I forgot the name. Uh, Josh, Stewart, Josh Stewart was doing amazing on day one. He had 98 so he and a half. So he was like 11 inches I'm over you. Uh, I mean, no, nine inches. I'm sorry. Horrible at math. <laughs> when you look at that, I mean, you weren't, you were fifth, but at the same time, the gap between first place and fifth place where you were was just a lot. At that point, would you were you surprised that you were in the hunt? Yeah, the, how day two ended at all? Well, after day one, did you just feel like, yeah, this is not, I'm shooting for maybe second, third or something, or did you still feel like you had a shot? Um. I don't know if I'd say I felt like I had a shot, but I was going to give it all I had. Um, it, I don't, I don't really pay attention to that. And I know how, how much fish can change. So, and I think that's why you do a two day tournament because so much will change and people will find patterns and people's patterns. The fish will be moving off of what they were doing and fish will be moving towards other people. And, you know, the longer the tournament, the harder it is to stay on them. So no, I didn't think I had a good chance of winning. Um, when someone like Josh has a nine-inch lead on you, you, <laughs> you kind of lose that confidence. But I wasn't just gonna roll over. I, you know, I wanted to go out and I kind of found something late on day one that I thought would help me on day two, and it just it ended up working out better than I had thought. But I, I knew that the fish were in the area that I was in to do well. I just didn't know how to catch them until day two, really. Because day one, I just kind of junk fished around and found some fish. But I never lost that. Like, yeah, it's nine inches, but things happen. So so yeah. let me ask you something. Because you mentioned something about, you know, the tournament. Was it the 10 Invitational you said that you fished uh, the, the a few days prior? So there was a, the 10 invitational was on Saturday and Sunday, but then along with that on Saturday was just a regular trail event. And then on Sunday was another trail event. So it was kind of three tournaments going on over the weekend. So and, I, I fished the trails, but not the 10 invitational. And at that point you were, you had already qualified. Like I, and again, I, I'm, I'm not always completely familiar with the KBF rules and I know sometimes a lot of changes, but the trails and uh, aside from the 10 invitational, which is for somebody that hadn't qualified, um, the trail series that you fished over the weekend wasn't relatable. It's for next year's 10, right? It's not yeah. for sure. So you had already qualified for the 10, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't get out of the 10, but you could fish the 10 invitational and keep somebody else out. So like yeah. if someone already in the 10 wins the 10 invitational, then it stays as 10 guys. If somebody else gets in, then it's 11. But I didn't sign up for that, and I kind of used those, those trail – days i did sign up for the trails but i kind of used them as like i'm gonna see what i can get and i'm gonna try as hard as i can but i'm also going to not go to the best spot with five other people and that <laughs> that's what i was wanting to ask you did at any point it changed your approach to what you were doing on trail one and two did you feel like you found something pre-fishing for you know that the tournament not for the 10 but for the trail series that you thought 
I found something that may be good, but were you reluctant to fish it just because you wanted to save it for the 10? Did that play at all play into your decisions? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I used, I used that. I wanted to expand on the pattern and see if the pattern would go all over the lake or if it was just in one area. Um, so I tried to, I tried to just expand on what I already kind of knew and hope that it wouldn't get beat up too, too bad. But I, I knew that there was fish going to where I found in pre-fishing, but I didn't want to go there for two days leading up to the tournament and then take one day off and go back for two more days. So I just tried to expand and find other areas during that time. But also, like, not in a way where I was, like, giving up either. Like, I was still fishing as hard as I could, just in different areas, um, just trying to find something else. And um, the first day of the trail, I actually ran – it was about a half hour run across the lake. And I basically started maybe 50 yards from Casey Reed, who was also in the 10. So I was like, okay, we both might've found this little area. I'm just going to try to get out of here and try to find something else. So that's what I did. And day two of the trail, I ended up leaving and going to look at a different lake and really use Sunday, like pre-fishing. I didn't, I didn't go to my best stuff at all. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you, but you already mentioned it. Did, did you approach trail one and trail day one and day two of the trail as you still wanted to win those trails? Or we were like more like, let me look at it as pre-fishing and prepare for the 10. Any regrets on what you did on trail one and trail two that you would have changed? Um, Not necessarily. Um. I mean, obviously the areas that I thought were going to produce better bags didn't. Um, and yeah, you can always look back on that, but at the same time, I didn't burn up the fish that I needed for the 10. So I wish I had better finishes. I think I, I only caught four fish each day of the trail and, um, yeah, I wish I did better, but I think you can always kind of look back and think that. So, so did know. any, did any of the strategy that you played in, like you mentioned, you left some areas that you're like, I'm going to explore now. And instead of burning areas that I might use for the 10, did that, even though you won, right? But did would you credit some of that to winning the 10 or did it, or did that strategy really never influence uh, you winning the 10? Does that, does that make sense how I'm asking that? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So like, um, like leaving it alone for those couple of days. Yeah. yeah. I think that helped. Um, like I said, there was already some people up there and I don't know what they were doing exactly, but I know that there was probably two to five people up there the whole time, um, fishing in that general area. So I just, I don't know, just beating up on those fish and adding another person. I don't, could I have gone up there for a couple hours each day and at least limited probably? Um, but I, I don't know if it helped or not. It, it helped my confidence because I just felt like there was fish there and I didn't go like if I go pre-fish something and then I go back two days before the tournament and then go back again and go back and keep checking yeah. them. And then one day they're not there, then I'm going to lose all the confidence in yeah. that spot where you kind of, okay, there's fish here. I'm going to keep my confidence. People can do whatever they need to do up there and I'm not going to go back until it matters. So you keep your confidence high that way. At least I do. Um, but no, I don't know. I think it was, I think it worked out. 
I know we're all particular about what information we share, but I feel comfortable asking you this because, well, you have a YouTube channel and you already put it out there. <laughs> so let me ask you this. For those that haven't watched your YouTube channel, your breakdown of day one and day two, let's talk a little bit about day one. What, how were you able to catch him on day one? Not just the bait, but how did you figure it out how to catch him and what baits do you use that help you catch him? So on day one, we were on a warming trend. Um, it got cold like Thursday, Friday, and then it started warming up over the weekend um, and just stayed warm through the 10. So on day one, I figured that those fish would be starting to push shallow. So that's really where I started. I started with like a little Texas rig, like quarter ounce shallow. And I caught one early. I caught like a 19 something early, 19.25 or something um, early. So I was, okay, they're going to be up shallow. And then I went a long time with catching like a 13 and then a long time. And I ended up pushing back off the bank a little bit and I caught a bigger one. And I was like, okay, so maybe they're moving in shallower or maybe not everything is shallow. And then I continue to catch smaller, like little male fish shallow. And then if I moved off the bank a little bit, it was, you know, better better bites so i my game plan was to fish that shallow stuff but as the day progressed i realized that if you wanted to get the bites you probably had to go out a little bit off the bank but i was pretty confident they were going to be on the bank on the first day and that early it seemed like that was the right move but as the day went on it kind of fell off for me but I'm sorry. Again, mute, muted myself here. You did an amazing job on day two. I think by far, I think you got the biggest bag on on day two, and you jumped to a hundred. I think a hundred and five inches on day two. Um, that it was a hundred and a half inches. Hundred point five. A hundred and a half. Yes, you're right. I apologize. A hundred and a half. Yeah, the biggest bag by what? Uh, one and a half inches over Russ Snyder. Were you surprised that you were able to find? that you know that size bass or was it something that did it caught you off guard that you you know you jumped 11 inches or did, was it something on you mentioned it at the beginning on there was something on day one that gave you confidence going into day two what was it that that you found going into day two and did it surprise you at all that you were able to put up this numbers on day two yeah so on later in day one i um I started throwing a frog around and I caught one on a frog and it was like 18 and change. And just the way that I ate the frog kind of clued me in that it was different than what I was doing. Um, the little Texas rig and flipping a Texas rig around pads and stuff. I was getting bites and they were better bites, but it just wasn't enough of them on day one. And the frog, um, the way that the, they were eating the frog just seemed different to me. Um, and I, I pre-fished with a frog and I didn't get anything to eat even touch it but it just set up for a frog so i always kept it on i kept it on all week and um i caught that one later on day one and then i caught or i missed two within the last half hour that were better size fish i had a 13 at the end of the day in my bag on day one um so i knew that those were better the quality seemed better on the frog um so going into day two i really stuck with that and I started the morning with it and fish shallow and it was kind of the same thing. I, I was getting those little males to come up and eat it. And I caught like a 13 and then I caught a 15 or 16 and then another 13. And I was like, all right, well this, 
it's they're biting it. I'm catching way more fish already. I caught three fish in probably the first 45 minutes where it took me until 11 o'clock the day before to have three. So I was, I was feeling better about the frog, but I just needed the size. And I knew that the size was in the area that I was in. So it kind of surprised me, I guess, just because they were, they ended up all like eating the frog like they were um, and eating the frog that good. But just making that adjustment and I caught one early that was like 18.75 and I just locked it in my hand. It wasn't long after that. I caught a 19.75 and then I caught a 20.25 and then I caught a 20 and a half. And, and then it started to be like, okay, this could actually happen. And they're, they're eating this frog and it's only, I don't even know what time that was, but it, it wasn't late. Like I had a pretty good limit early. Um, I think I had 99 inches and I went like four ish hours without another call, but I was catching 17s and, 18s and 16s and but i had an 18 and a half or 18.75 to get rid of um so i knew the fish were in the area but at the same time you start to think did they get caught in the other in the trail tournaments did they move out of here did they move shallower are they under the mats like you kind of run all those scenarios through your head but i think what i was doing with the frog i think those fish were just coming to me and pouring into the bank from that little bit deeper water so it just, yeah, it worked. It surprised me, but I knew that they were there. I just had to figure out how to catch them. Yeah, one of the things that you mentioned, and I think somebody else that I was listening to talking about that tournament alluded to, is that it seems like to be a really like morning bite, and then it shots off. And I think Dirk Brando was the one who mentioned. I can't remember, but it was like, I think, or it might have been you on the award show. Uh, I'm trying to remember. But anyways, it was like a morning bite, shot off, and then late afternoon bite. And looking at you, I mean, and obviously this is, I think this might be the, I'm not sure how fish chaos works about the timestamps, but obviously this might be the, not the actual time you took the picture based on meta data, but the actual time you pull, uploaded it. And it looks like you really had like early morning, 826, 1023, 1036, and 1043. So you had a good solid two hours of just catching monster fish like a 19 and three quarter another 19 and three quarter a 20 and a quarter and a 20 and a half and then he completely shot off a, well he could have caught other ones that just um uh what do you call that uh man i forgot the term but anyways that uh you upgraded to and then the last one was at three o'clock and that was in 20 and a quarter how what is it about, you know, having those four hours of like, I'm not catching anything. How do you deal with that? Did you already expect that to happen, that it was going to be morning bite, noon was going to be tough, and then late afternoon bite? Or you know, how do you try to keep yourself motivated and positive when you know you've like, you, you had that window, you crush it on that window, you need more to move up into first place and now you're in the four hours just with you with your thoughts trying to figure things out tell talk to me about what you do during those four hours where you're not catching fish and you know you need to upgrade in order to win so i guess yeah i had those those four good ones fairly early um and then you go a long time but what goes through my head in that situation is i'm in florida and i can catch a 24 at any second so just don't stop because like they're they're eating what I'm doing, and they some of them are 16, some of them are 
you know, 17s, and they're not helping right now. But at any point, that could be a 24 or a 25 or a 23 or, you know, something crazy. So in my mind, I was like, if I catch one more giant, I'm going to give myself a really good chance at this tournament. And then that my like, I just switched my whole mind to that and just go for go for a big bite. But this this bait is working. Um, so you just need to keep doing this and keep grinding. And eventually you're going to get another another bite you just have to capitalize when it happens and there was fish in that time like i caught fish all day long it wasn't it wasn't like a lull but it did slow down a little bit and then i made a move that was probably another half hour um i had one little area that i liked but i didn't fish it until later in the day both days so um there there was time in there where i wasn't catching them but just knowing where you are and that the potential is there will keep you going i think what is the thing is the biggest factor on determining what to do? And we all we've all been there. I've been there, and I'm sure everybody that's fish a kayak tournament has been there. Where, you know, you you have your four or five fish, but you need to either get one more or upgrade in order to get land you to the money or maybe win the tournament. In that span of hours, continuing, what do you try to focus on to make sure you make a good decision? Because there's the thought of like do I switch baits before do I switch spots? How do you approach that? Is it dependent? Do you have like one preference? Like you're going to say, whatever happens, I'm just going to switch baits first before I move, or I'm going to move first, or it's just in your case, reading what's going on. And from that point, making a decision. Yeah. So I try to read what's going on more than having it like set, like, okay, I'm going to fish for this long and then I'm going to do this. Um, so I just kind of go with whatever feels right at the time. Um, and I won't think about things for very long. I remember seeing, I think it was a podcast with, I think it was Brandon Polinick where he talks about like, if you start at five and just count down and go five, four, three, two, one, and then and whatever that is, just go with it. And don't, don't like think, Oh, well, if I hadn't done that, like just five, four, three, two, one switch baits. Okay. I'm tying something new on. And then you do it and you try it and okay, five, four, three, two, one, I'm going to go run across the lake, but don't overthink it. Cause it's at the end of the day, it's just catching a bass. Like everybody that kayak fishes knows how to catch bass. But when you start overthinking it and losing yeah. confidence in what you're doing and you go that route, that's when you people spin out and it gets harder and you make it more complex than it is. But if you just stay confident in what you're doing and like, Okay, I'm gonna switch baits. Boom, you switch baits and start throwing that. And now you have the confidence in that instead of being like, eh, I've hemmed and hawed over this for the last half hour and I'm not really sure what I want to do. And yeah. It's just easier just to think quick, make the decision, and do it. And that, that's all part of the game is decision making. And they're not always the right decisions, but yeah, I think overthinking it is worse than making it, you know, that's the wrong decision. That's and that's a very fine line between overthinking it and analyzing it and reading it correctly. There's really no rhythm or rhyme to it. Maybe at a particular lake, you can figure something out, like you mentioned that, okay, this is the right decision. But it all doesn't always play that way. There are times where you're like, I have no idea what to do. And then you started trying to gather your thoughts. One thing that I love about fishing and kayak fishing, difference from, you know... Uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but from a 
from a basketball standpoint, right? Like if if you're down and you're shot on time, okay, we'll start running uh, three-point plays. If you are, you know, if you're uh, on a, uh, if you're playing baseball, you're in the ninth inning and you don't want the guy from first to get to a scoring position, move your outfielders back, prevent a double, that kind of thing, right? There's certain strategies is like, this is the strategy tried and proven for this sport in this particular situation. situation. That doesn't work in kayak fishing. I think that's the beautiful and frustrating part about kayak fishing. What your decision that you took to got you that to get you that win at the 10, next local tournament in Connecticut may be the opposite decision. And then you have to figure it out. We never stop learning for kayak fishing. There's not a set of rules that you follow and you decide, okay, as long as I follow these rules, I'll be all right. It's just the only, like you mentioned, the only thing you can have is not overthinking. And a way to avoid overthinking is with experience. And the only way to get experience is to spend time on the water. So it's, again, props to you for being able to figure it out and being able to, you know, win the tournament. Let me ask you this. You got the last fish at least uploaded uh, at the last minute. Did you really catch it at the last minute or something that you were just kind of held holding back not to, you know, announce that you moved into, you know, a, a good position. Did, which one was it? I wish I caught that fish earlier. <laughs> I caught it at 356. Three so I, have, I had four minutes left in the tournament when I caught that last one. How did that feel? Knowing <laughs> after four hours of not catching or upgrading at least. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> after I had 99, of course, the goal is 100. I'm like, I'm, I'm close to 100. I know the fish are here to do 100, and uh, that was the goal. So um, usually for me, that doesn't happen. I'm not usually like the last minute, oh, I caught one with, you know, a couple minutes to go. That's not usually me. Usually I have whatever I'm going to have by like noon, and <laughs> I just watch myself slide down the leaderboard as the day goes on. Um, so, I mean, that – it felt good. Um, and it, you know, trying for four hours to catch one over 18 and a half or 18.75, whatever my next smallest one was, was a grind and it wasn't easy to do, but I had that thought in my head, like there's big fish everywhere. And eventually you might, you know, stumble upon the right area that has one. And that last 20 was after I made the decision to move all the way back across the lake and fish that other little area that I had for the last, I think I fished it for the last hour. You know what the, the amazing part about that is when you make a move, you're always thinking, did I make the right move? And now you're like four minutes away and you're probably, I'm assuming in your mind thinking, I made the wrong decision. I made the wrong decision. This is over. And all of a sudden your decision pays off. Are you, and I and I should apologize because I should have watched the videos you posted on YouTube. <laughs> that would have given me more context, but I also don't want to. I do a spoiler for anybody that's fishing that hasn't watched your videos. Uh, was there any like raw emotions when you caught that one? Are you an emotional guy when you catch a fish <laughs> that's going to display it? Not, not that you do it for showing off, but just general emotion of just, God, I would, I mean, I've been on tournaments where I catch fish at the last minute. And it, I mean, even if I hadn't won, it's just a raw emotion. Do you, are you an emotional guy in that aspect? Yeah, there's definitely times where you get like that emotion takes over. And 
I'm usually like I tell people that all the time. I spin out more when I catch a big one than when I lose one. Like losing a fish doesn't bother me. I just look at it like, ah, it's just fishing. Okay, it is what it is. When I catch a big one, I like, I like get you know like pumped up and I you know get excited and whatever. Which I don't know. Like I think it's just kind of part of it, but it definitely comes out but with that last one i catch it i get it in the boat and i click my phone to see what time it is and how much time do i have like i didn't even think like you can't celebrate now because if you don't get a picture this fish isn't worth anything (laughs) um so i just look at my phone get the picture and then it was like okay let it go and i was like all right i got three more minutes and i stood back up and kept casting like that one didn't get it was the i think the third one because i think or no, the fourth one, because I called like a 13 or something with a 20 and a quarter. So that one, like you get like those bigger calls, you get emotional. But when it's time, like like time crunch and you have to get the picture and you have to keep rolling. Like I didn't that one didn't get to me as bad as some of them early. Like even in the first video I did, the first fish I caught, I was like pumped up. But I definitely get that sort of emotional when I get bigger fish in the tournament i mean that's why i do it i just love that feeling of catching a big fish in a tournament and it's just a blast so to have that and a day where you put up that was the best day i've ever had um in a kayak over 100 inches i think the next best was like 97 or 98 um so yeah no definitely get get some emotion going but it's hard to keep that team i'm not the chairman of the 100 inches clubs here for for bass fishing so i can't officially welcome you but you know welcome and congratulations for making the 100 inch club out thank you so this is your first time doing 100 inches yeah in a day. yeah awesome yeah let me ask you this when did you find out that you won like i know sometimes guys talk about you know, talk about how they did before the actual award and you kind of figure it out sometimes in this one. Did you just find out with the announcement or do you, were you guys talking already figured out that you have won? Um, I guess I really figured it out with the announcement, but guys were talking. They're like, I think you got it. I think you got me. Oh, I think you might have him. I think you might, but you never really know. Um, at least I don't, I never feel confident in that. Like until it's announced, I, I don't know. I don't, feel super confident in it but i didn't no i didn't know until it was announced how's that feeling of right before the announcement like before you knew before the officially announcement and how what was you going through your mind were you like i hope i got this what are, what am i gonna say if uh somebody leapfrogged me at the end any and what were your thoughts going into you know right before they announced the decision or the results i should say yeah i guess going into that it's just i just felt like i did everything i could do so if somebody did more and beat me then kudos to them and you know i don't look at that like it's you know a bad thing or you know i wouldn't be disappointed i think going down there i had the expectation of not zeroing and you know whatever so when it comes down to you and the other guy you're like worst i could do is second like i'm this is great (laughs) you know and of course you want to win, but I don't, 
I don't know. I don't get. Come on, man. You got to be honest with me, right? Everything that you say, I believe, but that's more like after the fact. That's more something you say to yourself, like, eh, you know, I, you know, I caught, I didn't get scum. But right there, you got to be thinking, please let me have, please, please let me win. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you definitely want to win. I definitely (laughs) want to be the one to win. But it, like, to be that high in that tournament, and it's an accomplishment. it It was me, Derek, and Gwen. And, um, it was like, they called Derek for third and I was like, okay, so the worst I can do is second. And he had been telling me, he's like, I I called three times, but I don't know. And I was like, okay, well I called once, but so I, I, I don't know. You just never know, but you just see what happens. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, no, it's definitely no fracking. I'm sure it's nerve-wracking just being uh, up there and just waiting to see, like, yeah. did I win it? Um, before, I, I want to ask you a little bit about the um, the experience of fishing the tent, because I think that's very interesting. But I kind of want to give a chance for people to ask. I know we have a couple of people here on uh, watching on Facebook and on YouTube. Does anybody have a question? that wants to ask the great Ryan Knight, shoot it up in the comments. Sandbag is out there. Jack, I don't disagree with you. I've never sandbag, but I don't judge anybody. I think that's part of the sportsmanship. You Sometimes you just don't want to say what you're catching and where you're catching them at. So, uh, but if there's anybody that has a question, feel free to join us. Let's see what we have here. Uh, I got a comment here from Steve Hedgen. If you watch the video, you might be able to hear me screaming in the background when they announced him as the winner. <laughs> <laughs> I actually traveled down there with Steve. So, Steve Hedges and also Matthew Conant. Great Matthew Conant. Can I follow you at Murray? Yeah, you can follow me at Murray as long as I can follow you next time we go to Gunnersville. That's fine. Matthew Conant. Uh, Matthew, I need to bring Matthew. I've, I missed the window to bring Matthew when he won the, the triple crown. I think he was the first one who won the triple crown at KBF. Yeah. What was it? Rookie of the year, angler of the year, and... No, he won the national, national championship, championship, the Trail championship, and yep, the and challenge yeah. championship all the same. That was at Gunnersville, I think, yeah. uh, two, three years ago. Three Only years one ago. that has done it. So... Matt, no, you can't. So definitely need to bring Matthew Conant uh, up to the show. And Derek yeah, Brown, too. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Great. Uh, I'm always, I've always, I've always said it on my podcast. I give a lot of props to the guys that are from the Northeast uh, that come down here um, to this Southern Trails and just kick behind. It's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a testament. You know, it's not it's really a Southern root sport, but it has grown so much and it is now nationwide, even international. I mean, I know yeah. some Japan, even South Africa. I follow some accounts in South Africa that is booming over there as well. So it shows a testament of growth of the sport. Yeah. And, and I don't just, know if it's because we get so much ice up here or what, but the, the everybody yeah. from the Northeast loves to travel. Like <laughs> all of us just go wherever, whenever, like, I know that there's a bunch of guys going to Murray in the next, uh, when is that, two weeks? There's a ton of guys going down there from up here. and the Like Murray, is that the, the one in Oklahoma City, right? Oh, not South Oklahoma Carolina. City, Oklahoma. South Carolina. Oh, oh South Carolina. Okay, we got to – I know they had – yeah, I was confused when I saw Lake Murray. I thought it was Oklahoma. 
yeah so all of us just try to get out of the ice i think and get (laughs) get down south and but yeah we and there's so many of us from up here that do well all over you know i mean two was it two years ago john ferreira won in florida he's a yeah he's a mass guy like there's just a lot of guys up here that go down and do well all over the place so let me ask you about the 10 experience um you guys from what i understand you don't have to pay tournament fees. Everything's paid for. They have the 10 house. Meals are paid for. I remember two years ago, I think that was the one that Conan won, um, or at least uh, the year that he won. I don't know if he won. I, I don't think he won the 10 that year, but um, that even have like a bunch of great prices like Yetis or Orient. I can't remember coolers um, and a bunch of great prices. I know with now with the inflation, everything, it's kind of a little bit, it's a lot harder to get all those great prices. But tell me a little bit about the experience. Because to me, that it's the ultimate feel of you being like an elite angler, where you don't have to pay your tournament fees. You actually get a place. You don't have to pay for your place to stay. I think you have to pay for even for your meals. What's that feeling like? And what do you like most about being in the tent, aside from the fishing, obviously? Yeah, no, that whole experience is awesome. And yeah, they put us this year, we were at Camp Mac. They have like a, it's kind of like a motel style. So everybody got their own rooms and bathrooms and everything. Um, but yeah, you walk into your room and there's Yeti cooler and uh, Yak Attack gave us a bunch of stuff. Rogue Fishing gave us a bunch of stuff. Um, the catch products, we get some catch stuff and just a whole bunch of, you know, sponsorship stuff that KBF supplies and the rooms paid for and, um yeah no entry fees so it's just you go down there and i think everybody gets paid i think a thousand dollars is the lowest payout and it just goes up from there so just to go to florida you get a thousand bucks to make the ten. um and yeah chad would bring like lunches he um i forget where he got them from but they were just like like pre-made sandwiches and stuff for your lunch for the next day and then when we all got back, we would go to like a restaurant or whatever for dinner. He got it catered one night and they just take, they just take care of you. And the KBF sponsors take care of what they can. And Chad takes care of a bunch and they film us down there and they do like the TV show thing after to give all of the anglers that make it the little bit of publicity that we can get. And, um, you know, just, they just take care of, everything so it's great i mean the whole experience is awesome and kbf and chad and everybody involved i know it's more than just chad but that whole everybody that's involved does a great job and the venue was good and yeah i have no complaints and i definitely want to be back there and i see why all these guys want to get back there every year because it's it's so much fun and you just hang out and talk fishing for four straight days yeah <laughs> there's that's what we like to do, and that's why we're there. So, yeah, it feels like the ultimate guys uh, weekend hangout. You actually getting paid just to be there. And again, credit to Chad Hoover for building this because there's no tournaments out there doing this, and there's really a lot of like connections you have to make with sponsorship that are willing to you know give out these great prizes, even and even if you don't win, just giving out everyone prizes. Uh, the payouts, the accommodations. I mean, a lot of all the credit to Chad Hoover for building something like that. Um, definitely, um, you know, kind of celebrates the hard work that you guys put uh, 
the the year before 2022 to be able to get this you've earned it and to be able to get it rewarded with this event i think it's awesome and i really hope the 10 continues to be a staple of the kbf uh, trails for years to come because i think it's it's an amazing uh tournament it, it is uh just a very like I said, it's just a celebration for all these anglers that put on just a hard work to be there and to get there and props to, the, to you and to everyone because nobody is a loser on that one, literally. Like everybody gets paid to be there. Yeah, yeah. And I think just anyone that's ever gotten there just wants to get back. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've wanted to get there since I started kayak fishing and now I want to get back even worse. So I can see how that tournament is sought after. And some of these guys, like, I think, we were all talking that one night. And I think Josh Stewart has missed that event once since. Yeah, Josh Stewart's like, a staple there. Yeah. It's insane yeah. that you can be that good all the time. But some of these guys are just that good all the time, yeah. and it just turns into a goal for everybody. And I know that's how a lot of people look at the ten is that that's the end goal for each season is to make that list. And yeah, I think for even. for anybody that fishes the KBF trail, the ultimate prize is going up to the ten. Um, I got a question here for Matthew from Matthew. I'm sorry. Why is it not showing up? Matthew, your question. Here we go. What was Ryan big fish for the week in Florida? Uh, during the tournament, I think it was 21 and a half or 21 and a quarter. And then pre-fishing, I caught a 22. Nice. Well, um, again, if you have guys, girls watching on YouTube and on Facebook, if you have any questions, we're going to go to a little segment, uh, kind of spotlight Ryan uh, for those that don't know Ryan Ryan what is your favorite lake that you love fishing I'm gonna have to say Lake Murray, Lake Murray. <laughs> um, yeah that place is just so much fun you can just catch a ton of fish and there's stripers there and you'll catch something typically um, but it's also a difficult lake I think what I like about it is that you could go to one end and it's like the muddiest water you've ever seen and then the other end is clear and deep and so there's really something there for everyone like you can fish any style of fishing that you want to fish and i don't know it's just fun it makes everybody has a strength there i think what is on your bucket list for lakes that you like to fish probably some near you like uh, <laughs> like lake York is up there like those those Texas lakes. Um, probably, I want to go to Santee Cooper, so I might do that this year. Uh, the St. Lawrence River, I think, would be awesome, just because that place. And I know the elites are a little different, but those guys are catching five-pound smallies, like, every day. And if you don't have five of them, then <laughs> you didn't do much. But, um, yeah, probably those couple would be right now. What is... Uh, biggest goal that you have for yourself right now moving forward? Um, probably to get back to the tent, <laughs> to be honest. I don't, or, or to make the TOC. I think the TOC would be cool. I just would like to put more time into Hobie events if, if, um, you know, if I can, or if they, you know, have more up here or whatever. But I think I'm going to either do two or three this year for Hobie. So, if I can get back to the 10 or make the TLC going into next year, I'll be, I'll be happy with how this year went for sure. 
if you weren't fishing for bass, if for whatever reason you were told, Ryan, you can no longer fish for black bass, meaning <laughs> smallmouth, spotted, largemouth bass, any type of bass, what would you be fishing for? Uh, probably nothing. <laughs> nothing? I, I don't not care. Even stripers, not even I don't catfish, care. nothing. I don't care. Like uh, We have striper fishing here. We can go out and catch... I don't know, whatever, however big striper on top water all day long and whatever. We can go to New York and go catch salmon in the river. And yeah, Jack, he, he travels with me. He's my local fishing partner, so he knows. But um, like trout fish, I just do not care about anything except <laughs> bass fishing. And I don't know why, just it's <laughs> just how it is. Where can, uh, let me give you a few minutes to plug in. Um, first of all, where can people follow you on social media? And I also want to give you a couple of minutes to, you know, plug in any sponsors, anybody that you want to thank, really. Go ahead. Okay. So, yeah, if, next to my name, you can see at R915. That's my Instagram. Um, I typically post there more than anywhere else. So, if you want to follow close, Instagram or Facebook are probably the best. Um, I'm really trying to grow the YouTube thing this year. So, you can find me on YouTube at just Ryan Nye Fishing. Um, and then yeah, that's probably it for social media stuff. And then as far as sponsors, I have to thank Old Town um, Kayaks. They helped me out a ton. And Blackhall Outfitters, who's our local Old Town dealer here in Connecticut. Um, Enduro Power Lithium for all my batteries and powering my autopilot. Um, Martin's Custom Baits, who I actually just partnered with them. But I had been partnered with them through the KFL earlier. And now I'm with them individually, which is awesome. And um, Hooks at Hoodlums. So. Those are the people that support me. And then obviously family, my wife, um, my friends, everyone, everyone that, you know, follows kayak fishing and all of the sponsors for all these big trails are super important because without any of them, then <laughs> none of us are really doing anything. So anyone that helps out with kayak fishing, it's greatly appreciated. Well, Ryan, I had you for an hour and I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a lot, a little bit later over there in the Northeast. Good luck moving forward on any of the trails. We hope to see you, you know, whether it's TOC, Bassmaster, KBF, doesn't matter, even your local trail, Slay Nation, up in Connecticut. Uh, wish you the best, lots of success, and hopefully we'll get to see you here either on this podcast or any other podcast. Just talking about another amazing win. Uh, Frankie, woo, Mr. Frank Polyfrone, <laughs> thank you so much for the kind words. Um for those out there listening, again, we thank you. Appreciate you taking the time. If Again, if you're listening on our MP3s, uh, platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, we would love it if you give us a, your five-star reviews. does mean a lot. It does help out the growth of the content. Um, remember, you can watch also or listen to the Advanced Kayak Angler. That is every Wednesday with your host, Dan Perry. Last week or this week, um, depending on when you're listening, he talked about the buyer's guide for Jackson kayaks. They cover all the kayaks that Jackson's have and where they shine the most. And that is with Dustin Nichols, team manager for Jackson kayaks. So again, we thank you so much. Check out the sponsor, Douglas Rods. Go to douglasoutdoors.com. Check out their full lineup of LRS X Matrix. And if you're into fly fishing, they have an amazing lineup of Sky G fly fishing rods that I absolutely love. So go check them out. This has been the real life on the Bass Kayak and Beers podcast. Thank you so much for your comments, your likes, your repost. We'll see you next week. Have a great night, everyone. Wear your PFDs 
And if you're going to be on the water and you're going to have a couple of beers, please do responsibly. Make sure you make it back home to your loved ones. Have a great night, everyone.